When we come out of the baptismal waters, we say, death is now behind us. also symbolizes our death and our burial. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 15 and verse 55. Paul, of course, in this familiar passage, he says, death, where is your sting? Uh, uh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Okay. So when we talk about the supper, the supper, again, is the acting out of our continued life in Christ in which we symbolically feed upon his sacrificial body and blood. That points us to one thing. That points us to the cross. However, baptism doesn't point us just to the cross. The bat- baptism points us to the cross. It points us to the tomb. And it points us to the empty tomb. Because baptism is not just an acting out of our feeding upon the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross, it's an acting out, not only of that sacrificial death and our joining together with Christ in that death, but it's also an acting out of His burial and an acting out of His resurrection. So you see just how much fuller and how much richer baptism is. What a blessing the supper is for us to engage in on a regular basis, but what an incredible blessing, what a a colossal blessing it is for the church of Jesus Christ to gather around the baptismal waters and watch and partake as the entire sacrifice is acted out. The death, the burial, the resurrection, and not just of Jesus, but the one being baptized as as he or she is joined together with Jesus in that death, that burial, and that resurrection. So John 3.16, or 1 John 3.16, we know this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. He lays down his life And He Himself is laid into the tomb. He Himself is raised from the tomb so that our baptism symbolically acts out our uniting together with Jesus in His death. Now, here's why that's important. Because everyone who enters into the baptismal waters, when they come out of those waters, that person, if they are expressing faith and repentance, that person can rightly say, death is now behind me. That is so significant. When we come out of the baptismal waters, we say, death is now behind us. Why is it behind us? Because I've been united with Christ. That's what I just acted out. I've been united with Christ in His death. And as Paul said to the Romans, He dies once to sin. After that, He lives to God. We are baptized together with Him in His death and raised together with Him to newness of life. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says this, It's appointed unto man once to die. Now, we are fallen people. And the fact that we are all sinful people means that death for us is not just one thing, it's two. We undergo something called physical death and we also undergo something called spiritual death. And the two of those things aren't the same thing. Physical death is when the soul is separated from the body. Spiritual death is when the soul is separated from God. So the sinful person is doomed to undergo both physical death and spiritual death. 
However, Jesus died our spiritual death for us. So that when we come out of those waters, we are saying that death is not in my future. That death is in my past because Jesus did it for me. Now, we will still undergo physical death. And physical death is unpleasant. It's uncomfortable. It's unnatural. And it's oftentimes painful. But physical death is a shell of what physical death and spiritual death together are. When the unbeliever experiences physical death, they experience the most horrible thing imaginable. They experience not only the separation of the soul from the body, but they experience the the eternal separation of the soul from God. However, Jesus experienced that for us so that when we come out of those baptismal waters, we are rightly saying, that death is not me. That's not mine. That's not in my future. Jesus did that for me. I still will face physical death. And no one really wants to face that. But physical death is a shadow of what death as a whole really is. That's why Paul will say to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 55, death, your victory is gone, your sting is gone. Yes, we will still dread it. We will still be very uncomfortable with it. It is very, very unnatural for anyone to have their soul and their body separated. However, what we will face is a mere empty shell of what the unbeliever faces in physical death. For the unbeliever, physical death is the most horrible thing that can happen. For the believer in Jesus Christ, what the baptismal waters are saying is that for the believer in Jesus Christ, physical death is a gateway into true life. We begin living after physical death. That is when true life really begins. So we are united to him, with Him in His death. Death is now behind us. And also we are symbolically uniting together with Him in His resurrection. Look at John 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus says to uh, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, meaning physical death, yet shall he live, meaning spiritual life. And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. That's Jesus' way of saying Yes, death will touch you in this shallow, shell, sort of uh, shadowy way, but death will not touch you in the horrific spiritual death kind of way. Why? Because we are now united with Christ, both in His death and His resurrection. And that's what this, the uh, uh, baptism is symbolizing. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the, in the Spirit. Baptism is the most beautiful thing that happens in the life of a believer outside of the moment when that believer steps into the presence of their Lord and begins what the Scriptures speak of as glorification. Outside of that moment, the moment when the believer steps from this short life into the next one, Outside of that, the moment that the believer comes out of the water is the most beautiful moment of their life. Because because what that is showing is that is showing that this person is united to Jesus in his resurrection. His resurrection is now theirs. Now, when Paul speaks about resurrection, he's speaking about 
two different things. Let's sort of take a look at this. So let's look at uh, the next point. That we are also symbolizing not only death with Christ, resurrection with Christ, but also new life. We are symbolically die with Christ, we symbolically are buried with Christ, and then we are resurrected to a new life. We come up out of the water, and Paul says to the Romans specifically that you are raised to walk in newness of life. He says this in verse, uh, let's look at verse 3. For we have all been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So the believer is united together with Jesus, both in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that resurrection is a resurrection to new life. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who am doing the living, but Christ lives in me. And the life Paul lives now in the flesh, he lives through faith in the Son of God who loved him and died for him. Or take a look at uh, Colossians 2, verse 12 again. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Or how can we forget John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is, a, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. John 5, verse 24, 1 Peter 2, verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So, when we are raised with Christ, symbolically in that way, Paul has two things in mind here. Let's take a look at what he has. First, he has a present resurrection in mind. We were buried together with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul is speaking there about a present resurrection. He's speaking about a walking in newness of life now. And that's what he's talking to the Galatians about in Galatians 2.20 again. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ is living in me. He's speaking there of a newness of life, of being raised to walk in a new life. When we go into the baptismal waters, the old self stays there. It's dead. It stays under the water. It's gone. And when we come out of the baptismal waters, it's like we're saying, I'm a new me. I'm a new creature in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. So there's a newness of life. There is a, a, a new deadness to sin. Not that sin no longer tempts us, not that sin no longer causes us to stumble, but there is a certain deadness to sin that begins to grow in us. There is a certain resilience, there's a certain passion for God that continues to grow in us. That's the newness of life that Paul talks about. Paul's also talking about not only that, but he's also talking about a future resurrection. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He's speaking there of a future resurrection, the resurrection of the body. When we look to that time in which 
those of us who have died, physical death, our bodies have been put into the ground, Jesus returns, and all of our physical bodies are then resurrected back to life, reunited together with our soul, and then we live an eternal existence in a sinless body with a sinless soul in the presence of Jesus Christ for eternity. That's the resurrection that Paul looks to. So the coming up out of the water is symbolically both of those. It's coming up out of the deadness of our old self, leaving our old self in the water, but it's also representing that coming up out of the ground, or that coming up out of the grave that will happen one day. And Paul is looking to both of those. We are raised to walk in newness of life now, but we are also raised to look towards that which is coming, that resurrection, that physical resurrection that is coming. So the newness of life now, the resurrection that's coming, we get that, but the newness of life now, here's one more point to make about that, it's this. I said earlier that all who gather around the baptismal waters, if you are in in Christ Jesus, whenever a church gathers around the baptismal waters to watch another act out what God has done to their heart, all of us have a part to play. And the part is this. The newness of life is a corporate thing. That's a church thing. The entire New Testament teaches us that we follow Christ in the context of His church, in the context of His body. There is no such thing as an obedient Christian who is living their life outside the context of the body of Christ. It doesn't exist, unless you're a Christian on Mars, maybe. But if we are living our life in obedience to Christ, we are doing it in the context of His church. So whoever enters into the baptismal waters is covenanting with God to live in that newness of life. But whoever watches the one going into the baptismal waters is also covenanting with that person and with God to be part of their newness of life. To disciple them. To pray for them. As Samuel enters the baptismal waters, we will all covenant with him to pray for him regularly, to encourage him, to mentor him, to reprove and rebuke, to train, to teach, to raise him up. That is part of, as we've talked about before, discipling each other. Our role in life is to make disciples of ourselves and one another. And as one enters into the baptismal waters, it is covenanting with God and covenanting with his church that we will endeavor to disciple this person just as they endeavor to disciple themselves in this newness of life. So that's what we see here. We are symbolically dying with Christ, symbolically being buried with Christ, symbolically being raised to walk in newness of life now and looking to the full newness of life that is to come. Now let's go back to the beginning of the sentence and let's catch one, a couple of things that we left earlier. Uh, first, let's take a look at this word obedient. The baptism of the believer in Jesus Christ is the obedient expression of repentance and faith. So number six, the unbaptized believer is living in disobedience. This is a command of Jesus. Of course, we're I'm speaking of Matthew 28, 19 and 20, a place in Scripture we know well as the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the world, baptizing all nations, 
teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded. Uh, or I'm sorry, go ye therefore into all nations, making disciples of all people, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Okay? So this is our mandate. This is our directive in life. To make disciples. That's why we're here. To make disciples. That's why we named ourselves the Disciples Fellowship. Because that's our, that's what we do. We are here to be made disciples of, and we're here to make disciples of one another. Because that's the mandate that's given to us. But within this mandate, Jesus gives two descriptive participles. Make disciples, and two descriptive ways he says to do that is teaching them to observe all things, and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So those two descriptors are what describe for us what Jesus has in mind as He says to us, make disciples of all people. So this command of Jesus to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one of the clearest commands of Scripture. It is not clouded in any sort of difficulty to interpret or difficulty to understand. It's pretty straightforward. Jesus says, if, if you are a believer, if God has acted upon your heart, if you've received new life in His name, then you are to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So those who are receivers of repentance and faith and new life in Christ, who have not entered the baptismal waters are living in open disobedience to His command. And that is a dangerous place to be. It is a serious thing for a believer to not enter the baptismal water because it is commanded for us. And not only is it commanded in such a clear way, it's one of the easiest commands to obey, is it not? It doesn't particularly require a great amount of willpower. We don't have to defeat some sort of besetting sin. It might be something that's not real comfortable. It might be a little bit uh, embarrassing maybe, particularly if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ who has never entered the baptismal waters. And now, now people have known us for 20, 30, 40 years, and we've always been a follower of Jesus Christ, but we've never done that. And so it might be a little bit embarrassing, but it's one of the easiest things to obey that Jesus gives to us. So it is a command. We called it an ordinance before. Ordinance, you can hear it in the word order. We're ordered. It's a command. It's something that we are to do. The believer in Jesus Christ who has not entered the baptismal waters as an expression of faith and repentance is a believer that is not living in obedience to Jesus. But then lastly, let's take a look at the last thing. Who is baptism for? The baptism of a believer in Jesus Christ. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 36. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? The eunuch was the receiver, the recipient of new life in Christ. And right there he says, Well, what's going to prevent me from entering the baptismal waters? So who is it that is to be baptized? The believer in Jesus Christ, the one expressing faith and repentance. If you don't have faith and repentance to express, then... The baptismal waters aren't for you. But who is it that is to be baptized? The Scriptures, the New Testament, has no indication whatsoever, not one single example of an infant ever entering the baptismal waters. It's only those who are capable of expressing faith and expressing repentance that enter the baptismal waters. So baptism isn't for infants. But let me say it this way. Let me say it in a really confusing, sort of provocative way, and then I'll explain what I mean. 
At Disciples Fellowship, we don't baptize infants. At Disciples Fellowship, we enthusiastically baptize infants. What in the world is that all about? Baptism is not for the physical infant. And oftentimes, as people grow up in the context of the church and the context of the gospel, they never really sort of have that time in life in which they're actively disbelieving. They just sort of grow into faith. And we often struggle with, you know, how young is too young? At what age do we really need to be to baptize a a, a young person? And the Scriptures give us no real help there other than to say it is an expression of faith and repentance. And so what must happen is there must be a credible, believable expression of faith. Now, here's what often happens. Is those expressions of faith Two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds can often just express a belief in Jesus and a trust in Jesus. It's a natural thing when they grow up within the context of the gospel being taught and lived out in home. And so it requires some discernment there, of course. But again, we don't want to baptize physical infants. But as we said earlier, we do baptize spiritual infants. In fact, that is what baptism is for. Baptism is intended for spiritual infants. Now, here's where I'm going with that. Whenever I preach on baptism, inevitably, here's what always happens. Someone comes and they say, you know, I've I've never understood what baptism was about. I was baptized at a young age and I didn't understand all that stuff. I think I need to be baptized now that I understand all that. And the answer that the Scriptures, I think, will give us is no, you don't. Baptism has no prerequisite of a minimum amount of understanding of what the baptism symbolizes. Again, typically, those being baptized are spiritual infants who are going to be characteristically without a lot of understanding about theological things. And so it is normal for a believer to express faith and repentance and enter the baptismal waters without having a great deal of understanding about what they're doing. That's normative. But what often happens is, and I went through this myself, I think I've shared with with some uh, just a time in which uh, I too sort of felt like, you know, I was baptized at a young age. I was eight. I mean, I barely, barely remember even happening. And I certainly didn't understand what all that was about. And so there was a time where I was struggling, you know, should I do this again? I even planned to do it again. And there was a baptismal service, and um, it was on Easter Sunday, and uh, just by the grace of, of God, there was just a colossal snowstorm, and I physically couldn't get to the church the next morning, and just never really followed through with it after that. Praise God, because here's why. The only time a believer, we were talking about this earlier, the only time a believer should ever consider entering the baptismal waters a second time is if they know for a fact that they went in the first time and it was false, that they weren't believing, that they were just doing it because their friend did it. They were just doing it because the other youth people in the youth group did it. They were just doing it just because. If you know that you entered the baptismal waters as an unbeliever, then you should submit to, to obedience and baptism. If, however, you just think, boy, I, I, mean, I was just so young, I don't really even think I understood 
really much about what salvation was about, certainly not what baptism was about, certainly not what the Christian life was about. Maybe I just need to do this again now that I have a fuller understanding. I think God's answer to us would be, that's how it's supposed to be. And so if if we have reached a fuller understanding in our life with Christ about what baptism signifies, then our part is to take joy in that as we see other spiritual infants enter into the baptismal waters. Now again, sometimes it's the case where, where a person has been a follower of Jesus Christ for much of their life and found that well, maybe they were baptized as a baby. Maybe that first time when they, they were an infant or whatever. And so now they need to obey in that way. But typically, that's what baptism is for, is for the spiritual infant who is just introduced into the, into the new life with Christ to act out what God has done for them. And then for the rest of us in God's body, we look upon that and we marvel with great joy because that is what God did for us. That is what God did to us. Maybe so long ago that I barely remember it. Maybe I barely even remember what I was like before that. Maybe I barely even remember the day that I got dumped. But we look upon that and we say, that right there, that's what God did for me. 